My name is Joe. Um, I'm 29. I live in the Kansas City area. Pronouns he, him. Um, I was working with Socialist Alternative for a while in Seattle and uh, in Kansas City until recently. I've had a job change, so I've been busy with that. But I'm here to talk about poor brain because I'm poor and I grew up poor and I know all about it. So Yay! <laughs> So yeah, there's so much that I've wanted to talk about for this week's episode as I doom scroll Twitter and Facebook, but I'm trying to not make this show just a vehicle for my complaints about the state of the world today. I mean, the Pope was gifted a native headdress recently, St. Louis is having record floods, and monkeypox is the newest pandemic potential. Woo-hoo. Oh, yeah, and then there's the freshest version of COVID with no relief, and Biden wants more cops because of course he does. Of all these issues, it's hard to pick just one to focus on. Plus, I had the spoons to write a script, but not enough to do extensive research about some issue I'm not completely up to speed on. So, because I'm lazy, and and like Robert Evans always said, a hack and a fraud, I thought today we'd talk about some stuff I'm intimately familiar with, so that I didn't have to do any research. We're going to talk about poor brain. So, Joe, when when I talk about poor brain, what do you think of when someone says poor brain? Yeah, so I know this is kind of like a newer phenomenon, like that's being studied more as, you know, the world becomes more woke or whatever you want to call it. But poor brain, for me, it really what it comes down to in my mind is stress and mm-hmm. the effect that stress has on the brain, particularly in relation to poverty uh, growing up. And I know I've had experiences, brief experiences where I've had full-time jobs where I didn't have to worry about money as much, mm-hmm. where it felt like a giant load was lifted off my shoulders. <laughs> right. <laughs> Literally. It's, it's, it's like a drug. Like you get a, finally get a job that pays halfway decent and it's like Xanax. Yeah. It's like, I'm just so much more relaxed now knowing that my bills are getting paid. <laughs> yeah. And you know, one thing that with mental health stuff that everybody, everybody's always saying, Oh, you got to meditate, you got to exercise. And it's really hard to, find the time to do those mm-hmm. things or the motivation or energy or the executive functioning ability right. to be able to balance your life when you're poor to do those things as yep. well as worry about paying bills, working extra hours so you can afford ends meet, things like that. Yeah, I did a few episodes ago, a whole episode about the privilege involved in meditation. And yeah. I mean, I, I love meditating, but like you just said, it's not like something that y- if if your basic needs aren't met, it really doesn't matter if you find nirvana because <laughs> it's going to spill over into your yeah. <laughs> everyday life. Yeah, if I got paid to meditate, oh yeah, I'd, yeah. I'd be a fucking monk. Oh yeah, I'd, I'd be under a, a banyan tree somewhere <laughs> just oming out. So. Yeah. But yeah, um, so what we mean by poor brain, Joe did a pretty good job summing it up. Uh, it's 
Poor brain is the behaviors, emotions, skill sets, and traumas that come from being in poverty for extended periods of time. It can happen at any point in your life, but I'm particularly talking about when you grow up poor because the trauma hits harder when we're kids with less coping skills. When we talked about mental health a uh, few episodes ago, we talked a bit about trauma, so let's go over some primers here. Trauma, by definition, as Merriam-Webster puts it, because to me, Merriam-Webster is the ultimate authority on <laughs> spelling. Um, fuck dictionary.com. Um, fuck that one Mel Gibson movie. <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, uh, Merriam calls uh, trauma is, quote, an injury such as a wound to living tissue caused by an extrinsic... Yeah, extrinsic agent or a disordered psychic or behavioral state resulting from severe mental or emotional stress or physical injury, end quote. A disordered psychic or behavioral trait resulting from severe mental or emotional stress. Some major things that can cause mental trauma is surviving armed conflicts or natural disasters to more regular common sources of trauma like divorce or domestic abuse. This isn't to imply one is worse than the other, because to our bodily reactions, they're one and the same. And I don't do oppression Olympics here. <laughs> it's all trauma. It all sucks. And as we briefly touched on when we discussed mental health, trauma is often inherited through the generations. And when we talk about economic security, the lack of such is often inherited along with the trauma, compounding it. If your parents grew up poor, you statistically did as well in a country that's determined to cease any upward economic mobility. Yeah, yeah. You don't just inherit the bad behaviors of being poor. You get to inherit being poor. Yeah, and I think that's something you figure out as you grow up that you literally are just your parents. Mm -hmm. At least I've noticed that with, like, I, I've the older I get, the more like, I'm just repeating everything that my dad did. And, it, you know, obviously there's some weird psychological stuff that goes with that, but a lot of it is just class-driven, yeah. I think. And, um, you know, you get the resources you get from your parents, and then you're basically going to repeat the same things that they did. I mean, in this country, I mean, I don't, but even worse for our generation because of student mm. loans and things of yeah. that nature. But the thing that like popped in my head when you're talking about like all these terrible things that like growing up in a conflict area or disasters, sometimes it's like the small things though. Like for me, like the, the feeling of driving around with like expired tags Mm -hmm. and not having enough money to like get <laughs> oh, new tags yeah. yep. is like the most it it's something that's like really small right but it can be so overwhelmingly gloomy because of the dread of having to get pulled over mm -hmm. pay a shit ton of money to get a lawyer or whatever right and i'm sure since you brought that up and i've been in that position too even after you get your tags yeah. it takes a good two months before your body will start to <laughs> relax while you're driving because yeah. you're so used to having bad tags yeah it's yeah so it all compounds, and it causes trauma. And one type of trauma that we don't talk enough about is the trauma of poverty. How does poverty cause trauma, you ask? If you're my FBI guy cruising through my show this week, I just assume you're a Republican. Let me know if I'm wrong, Spencer. I don't want to mislabel you. Uh, anyway, how does poverty cause trauma? Well, from Psychology Today in an article uh, from October 22, 2012, titled The Effects of Pro Poverty on the Brain by Arthur Dobrin, Buckle down, y'all. This is a long quote. Arthur Doberman. <laughs> that would have been a cooler <laughs> name. I'm just imagining, you know, full on Doberman, you know, nice suit and bow tie, yeah, little dude. tweed vest, patches on the elbow. Let's meme it up. It's like totally let the uh, class go early because he has to go chase a ball. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So let's get in this quote. Uh, 
As a study at Boston's Children's Hospital concludes, severe psychological and physical neglect produces measurable changes in children's brains. Unfortunately, stress and poverty go hand in hand. More importantly than unhealthy lifestyles and lack of access to good health care, chronic stress makes many susceptible to cardiovascular disease, high blood pressure, depression, and diabetes. Diabetes. I can't. I can't read it right. It's diabetes. Diabetes. Uh, God rest Wilford Brimley. <laughs> okay. So the impact upon the brain is seen. Right. <laughs> oh yeah. Right. He sees definitely not resting well. <laughs> but he gave us a good meme. <laughs> All right. The impact upon the brain is seen with those suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder. The hippocampus part of their brains is atrophied. Chronic stress, which is experienced by many poor children, can be devastating. Since the hippocampus regulates emotional responses, is critical in the formation of memory and spatial awareness, the impact of chronic stress is different than the reaction to acute stress, which may be beneficial by, for example, causing greater alertness and increased focus. Poor children experience high levels of stress because, among other reasons, they live in violent neighborhoods, walk across many busy vehicular intersections, move residences twice as often, and get evicted five times as often as the average American, and are more likely to be bullied in school. End quote. Yeah, the moving thing is a big one, because I I definitely moved around a lot growing up, and um, that's... I have an interesting anecdote about that. Um, So I moved from Springfield to St. Louis when I was... Yeah, about seven when my parents divorced and obviously that's a big thing for Mm -hmm. your brain at that age but um i went to maplewood which is like a middle slash lower class high school and or um school district in st louis suburb suburban county and then in fifth grade i switched over to avery which is like in the webster grove school district so it's a little bit more upper class Mm -hmm. and adjusting to that and like fitting in with a new group of like mostly like shithead white mm-hmm. you know upper yeah. middle class of douchebag kids that can be really hard and really stressful and it's hard to make new friends mm-hmm. and yeah you have to overcompensate kind of and oh yeah it can cause a lot of stress on like a young person's mind yeah i sure. grew up uh went to public school through third grade and then thanks to the parish i was able to go to the catholic school here in town which i was a young devout catholic that was pretty awesome but same thing it was you know i'm suddenly in this place where i'm there on a scholarship Mm -hmm. and all these other kids are like talking about things that i don't have and making fun of my clothes and this and that and it's like but we're we're the same we're, we're, you live two blocks from me man (laughs) don't act like your shit don't stink so uh, yeah, so poverty makes kids stressed. When I was a kid, I grew up in poverty, despite both my parents working. Thanks to relentless bill collectors utilizing abusive tactics over the phone. Hey, this was the mid-90s. <laughs> I now have a rational fear of doing any business over the phone. Generally speaking, take note, people. If I've slept with you, I'll answer a phone call, but the rest of you all better text me. Hell yeah. <laughs> uh, my mom notwithstanding. Uh, <laughs> hi, mom. <laughs> uh, wow, that was very uh, Oedipus right there. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, I'm trying to figure that one out. So. <laughs> uh, don't bother unpacking <laughs> it. <laughs> that, that one will still be bothering you tonight. <laughs> Welcome to the new podcast, Oedipus right. <laughs> Um Speaking of moving, I've in my entire life, I've moved over 40 times in my 38 years. Mm. Five times before I was 14, like you're just saying, yeah. and the other 30-odd times as an adult and as a direct result of lacking financial stability. 
I grew up on hand-me-downs, charity gifts from the local Catholic church for Christmas, and knowing that the end of the month meant no more groceries until the food stamps came in after the first. And that shit fucked me up as an adult in ways I am still unpacking. I hate buying new clothes, I have a hard time justifying most purchases, and I stockpile cheap dry food like the squirrel I am for the times I know the food budget is stretched too thin. <laughs> yeah! That's the worst part is you have to work, like, the amount of, the ratio of work you have to do later on, it's kind of like it's easy to lose something but hard to hard to get something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, it's kind of the same with unpacking trauma where yeah. it's very easy to get traumatized, <laughs> but it's very hard and takes time and money, obviously, right. with health, without free health care to well, and it fix gets, it. It gets, like, um, a little better, too. It's weird. It's almost a paradox. The better you get unpacking your past trauma, the better you are at dealing with shit in the moment Mm -hmm. so that it's less traumatizing yeah uh last breakup i went through as my uh ex-partner was packing their stuff out i was basically just lied out deep breathing reminding myself everything was okay everything would work out and thanks to that i was able to kind of cope with that a lot further and easier than anything else do you think you'd like handle it would have handled it differently if you had like a bunch more money (laughs) <laughs> oh, oh, yeah, like, totally, totally. Like, do you think you'd just be like, oh. fuck meditating, uh, like, I don't need to worry about any know, of this? I've actually <laughs> given a lot of thought to that, and I think that I would still, like, meditate, but mainly because the therapists that I've managed to get for free yeah. uh, have made it very clear that that's a good way to reduce stress, and, yeah. you know, plus I'm a Buddhist, so it helps keep me centered. But... I would definitely spend less time writing about uh, podcast scripts about my trauma <laughs> and more about how the Democrats and Republicans are screwing us yeah. over. Uh, so poverty causes trauma. But you know what won't? Participating in capitalism because you're a good little drone, aren't you? Who's a good little drone? You're a good little drone. Oh, that, that would have been a great ad plug if I had any paying sponsors. But since they're all awesome community groups that I just want to spread the word about, I guess that plug sucks. Uh, is there anybody you want to plug before we go to commercials? Yeah, there's a nice bail bonds company right <laughs> by my house. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I mean, Socialist Alternative is a cool group, and I work with them. But other than them, um, no. Okay. Not at all. Well, you, you, it doesn't have to be a group or, or a business. I mean, you can plug concepts. You can plug ice cream. You can plug going to I'll the plug... If you're gonna get married, you better stay married I'll for work your with kids. That. I'll work no, with I'm that. Just around. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, we'll have to talk off mic about <laughs> a little person. I'm also a devout stuff. Catholic. Right? No. <laughs> Somehow I I brought a conservative in to talk about this. I don't know how that happened. <laughs> All right, here's some ads. We will be right back. <laughs> Deep in the swamps of Florida. Honeys, that a new plant? He dwells, waiting. Where did those seeds come from, honey? Silently. Oh my god, what is that thing? Sending seeds and stickers across the country. Ah! And spreading solidarity. Have you lost your mind, honey? We can't move to a sustainable commune in upstate New York. What's wrong with you lately? There's no stopping him. The mighty skunk ape is on Facebook and he's on a mission. Anarchy! No! Coming to a post office box near you, the Skunk Ape Liberation Union. 
capitalism sucks, but Revolution Records, Kansas City's old school record and bookstore, is part of my community. When I'm in Kansas City and need a book or a copy of a local band's album, I go to Revolution Records. Revolution has a great selection of posters, books, records, tapes, and zines. Plus, they repair music and sound gear. That's pretty dope. Most importantly, Revolution Records is part of the community beyond being a small business. The staff does a great job maintaining an inclusive, accepting, and respectful atmosphere, and they also are active in making Kansas City a better place. Community fundraisers, workshops, events, and meetings all have taken place at Revolution Records, and that's just the stuff I was involved in. So the next time you need a new record to spin or your speaker breaks, go check out Revolution Records, located 1830 Locust Street, Kansas City, Missouri, or at revolutionrecordskc.com. Kids haven't even been present for recording. Speaking I kicked them out of the house, right? <laughs> <laughs> Babysitters, you can afford that. <laughs> nah, he's, he's he's being good. He's playing with the cat. Yeah, and luckily, these are somewhat directional mics, so as long as my cat doesn't like bite him or something, I, yeah. I think we ought to be fine. And dude's a comrade. He's he's great with kids. Uh, so yeah, we we are in fact back. That's that's what that fart noise was. Um, so yeah, like I said, I grew up poor. But I don't want anybody to get the wrong idea. I was impoverished, but thanks to my parents' diligent labor, social programs, and the good of the community, I didn't endure extreme poverty. We always had food on the table, and no mind if half the time it was beanie weenies or mac and cheese with tuna and peas. We had heat most of the time, but more often than not, in the apex of summer, we cooled off with box fans, cold showers, and frequent trips to the library or local swimming hole. We never went homeless, but I did share a room with two brothers for most of my childhood, and when I finally got my own quote-unquote room, it was literally just a corner of the living room walled off by bookcases, and I was thankful for that. We also had to move frequently because of unlivable housing conditions due to landlord negligence or a lack of space for a family of six or not being able to keep up with rent increases. Basically, like a lot of Americans, I grew up with no sense of certainty, no sense of security. Even the idea of a stable home with present parents is unfathomable to a kid growing up poor. There is no stability, which, as we talked about, changes our brain structure, our thought patterns, and our overall ability to cope with life. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I just I went through a lot of the same things that you just listed, so it's kind of just bringing me back to my experiences. And I don't have anything necessarily unique to add, but I can just say that it seems like a pretty uniform experience for for most people that I know. At least, you know, I don't know if this is necessarily a regional thing. Like, let's just say, like, my family shopped at Dollar General a lot, mm. oh, you yeah. know, yeah. which is uh, Dollar or Dollar Tree as well, but right. which is Dollar Plus now. Oh, God. Yeah, yeah, I saw the $5 items yeah. at the Dollar Store. Yeah, Cooper told me, yeah. Yeah, Cooper's oh, weighing in on this. Hey, he knows hey, all about it. I, I checked out our new one the other day and was like, part of me is infuriated that they now have $5 stuff. But on the other hand, they have more stuff that I need. Yeah. So, 
Uh, yeah, thanks, Joe Biden. Yeah. <laughs> You're doing such a great job. The dollar store thanks is now Joe $5. Brandon. Hey, yeah. but we did get the cheesy Fiesta potatoes and then Mexican pizzas back from Taco Bell, so uh, it's not all bad under Oh, Biden. you must be rich if you can go eat a Taco <laughs> right. Bell. Hey, no, that's why I eat a Taco Bell. <laughs> I can't afford, like, what's that fancy one? Um, Chipotle. Chipotle? Like, I've oh, never eaten it. Right Chipotle. out of town. Yeah, that. man, if I'm going to eat a, a burrito... I, See, Cooper yeah, gets it. Taco Bell is cheap. I literally got a delivery job so I could, like, get pizza, like, half oh, price. Yeah. Like, I'm not joking. Like, I mean, things are bad right now. Cooper, hold on a minute, <laughs> buddy. We got to be quiet for a second. <laughs> uh, I'm going to have some work to do on this. <laughs> All right. So, um talking about that from Forbes from an uh, yes for that Forbes uh, from an article on October 7th 2022 titled five ways trauma and poverty affect childhood development by Nicole Roberts there was only like one quote in there worth repeating yeah. so uh, yeah quote poverty neglect housing instability violence food insecurity and separation from parents all affect childhood development and thus lifelong health although children are born ready to learn and grow adverse childhood experiences or ACEs are, trauma, are traumatic events that occur in youth resulting in toxic stress. And that toxic stress from ACEs can literally change how the brain develops and affects how the body responds to stress as one ages. End quote. I'd like to jump in, if yeah. it's okay, and Go talk about it. the treatment for these things. Because we know how much of, the, you know, you got all these diagnoses, like, as mental health gets researched more, we get more and more diagnoses and more and more people are diagnosed with multiple things like, you know, bipolar disorder, mm -hmm. borderline personality, depression, anxiety, the list goes on, ADHD, right. the list goes on and on. And I think, like, there, there's a certain amount of shame that comes mm -hmm. with, and obviously we are, I'm not saying anything unique in saying that, like, there's a stigma that goes along oh, yeah. with those things. But it kind of, in my mind, the diagnoses that they use also takes away any accountability that our society, the role our society is set up and plays in getting those diagnoses in the first place. I'm actually really glad you brought this up because I read a bit about this for the research for this, but it didn't end up making it in because the script was already getting big and unwieldy. But they were talking about, I read another article I quote later on uh, from Psychology Today, and the part I didn't include in the script was where the doctor who wrote it was basically like, we are so quick to medicate mental health disorders and not identify that they are usually, I mean, you may have mental health issues as well. I mean, I know we do, but a lot of our problems stem from trauma, from mm -hmm. undiagnosed and treated trauma. And a large part of that, at least in my case, does come from growing up poor. So if yeah. my material needs have been met, I'd probably be a lot more sane yeah. than I am right well, now. Well, I'll say this. my I mean, I feel, and I'm not trying to sound contrived here, but I feel like I know just as much about mental health as mm, some of the therapists and psychiatrists oh, yeah. I've seen and that I am more up-to-date on contemporary research than they are <laughs> right. because they don't have to do that to get paid. Exactly, you know what I mean? but we're always checking and rechecking because that's yeah. all we have to count on is ourselves. Yeah, so, so I think... A lot of the the premises they use are just simply outdated, mm -hmm. and I think the names, the diagnoses that they give out, are unfair. I like, it. I don't know about you, but when I have money, my anxiety sure goes down a little bit. <laughs> yeah. So maybe if they gave me like a diagnosis of, oh, you have anxiety disorder. Here's Zoloft, 
and you have also a poverty anxiety disorder, right. here's a couple hundred bucks yeah. a month. Here's a universal basic that. income <laughs> to help out. It's yeah. almost like there is a fix for this, but but we'll get to that. <laughs> um, all right, so yeah, um, let's talk a little bit more about uh, how those particular adverse childhood experiences play into poverty. Um, so poverty is an ace, as well as uh, neglect, violence, food insecurity, and separations, which are all things that are not explicitly caused by childhood poverty, but exacerbated by it. Consider, parents gone all the time due to working so some bills can be paid leads to neglect. Further, the draining demands of working low-paying jobs robs a parent of energy that would otherwise be used in engaging their ch with their children. Housing instability is directly tied to one's economic class, as well as food insecurity. Violence isn't just the realm of the poor, but it is disproportionate in lower economic households, and statistics back that up. I didn't quote them because I kind of want you all to do some of your own fucking research. <laughs> so once. you can look that up, but it is proven, and I stand by that comment. Um, but all these things, they change us. And how does it change us? Well, we discussed how poverty affects developing brains, and one thing I mentioned was behavior patterns. And now we're really getting into poor brain. Some of these are net positives, such as the old adage, use it up and wear it out, but even these old sayings have their own potential issues. To demonstrate that, let's talk about my shorts. I have a pair of shorts. I, I, I almost thought to go grab them, and, and in fact, I'm going to just talk, add something to this conversation. I'll be right back. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, shorts. Words of poverty. Drugs. Yeah, okay. I'll tell I think in in my experience the maladaptive behaviors that come as a result of being poor can oftentimes like have an an exponential effect, a spiraling effect that can compound all those negative factors. And obviously the the most notable ones are drugs, alcohol, use, things like that. Um, but I've noticed like those things really affect my relationships because I've had to jump into relationships that I didn't want to jump into to afford rent. <laughs> and, and those relationships usually don't lead to anything good in the end. So, I mean, it really just affects every aspect of your life. Um, yeah, that's how I would weigh in on that. Perfect. Okay. Why don't you describe this pair of shorts uh, to the listener? Because podcasting, at least my podcast, is a visual medium. Holy. <laughs> and not in sanctified. George. <laughs> never heard of that brand. Oh, that's because it's Walmart. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I allegedly walked out of those with a fishing lure as the barcode. So I got them for 99 They're pretty cents. awesome, to be honest. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, if, if there was more material to um <laughs> <laughs> i mean okay so back to back to the script uh so yeah my shorts which was actually in the script i just thought it'd be more fun if you you just uh described it so i have this pair of shorts they are tan they are mostly holes but they do cover my my vital parts and they still meet the technical standard of pants Plus, they do... Probably wouldn't cover mine all the way, if you know what I mean. Well, it sounds like a personal problem. <laughs> <laughs> See, this isn't fair, because I've got all sorts of dirty comments I can throw back, but Joe's kid is here, so I'm not going to, you know... He laughed, even though he oh. didn't understand what hey, it's about Hey, yeah, but all. it's your kid. You can make those cracks in front of your oh, yeah, kid. Dude, I got a leg up. <laughs> right? Well, from what you were just saying, you got a third leg up. Hey, oh. <laughs> <laughs> so, I... These shorts are tore up. I should probably get rid of them. 
but since they technically meet my needs, I can't do it. I feel dread at the thought of getting rid of them. Mm. I do know how to sew. I haven't sat down to patch them up. Probably not worth the time to patch them up, but I just can't bring myself to throw them away. You bring up a really good point, and that's something I didn't even think about, which is, like, hoarding. Mm -hmm. And, like, uh, the anxiety of losing things or, like... I've gotten this kind of confused with my ADHD symptoms. And it's like, how much of it is me being poor? How much of it is ADHD? Mm -hmm. Which is like having the executive function decide, like, what is okay to get rid of? What is okay to keep? What should I be doing right now? What should I not be doing right now? You know? Yeah. It just muddles everything. Oh, very much. It clouds your brain. Yeah. And there's, it ties into so many other, like, just ways we spend our time to, like, the executive dysfunction, I think, is really compounded by by being poor because you know that every minute of your day needs to be filled with generating money because you're never going to make enough yeah to live. you can't really dedicate your time to those long-term goals that you have yeah and if you try to take time to you know relax and refill your spoons i think most of us deal with that nagging feeling that guilt and yeah shame you about should be doing working, something else yeah, yeah. i mean i'm kind of dealing with that right now because i'm in between a couple of my gigs and I mean, today I managed to get some stuff done, but even then it was like, I could probably find some work for one day. I've got yeah. clients, but I was also like, I I want to record a podcast. I need to clean my house. I need to do laundry. I, th- I mean, I think that brings up just how, like, alienated mm-hmm. we really, not to, like, try and sound smarter than I am by using that word, <laughs> but um, it is a good word for it. And oh, yeah. isolated as well. Yep. Because that's a lonely place to be at when you're in between jobs and you're just in panic mode Mm -hmm. and you're unsure of the future and especially as men because they don't talk about that kind of stuff as much um then it can and when you lose like your money making ability as a man like in Mm -hmm. our society like we are gonna feel shit oh yeah we're we're supposed to feel we're gonna talk about how this all ties into self-worth here in a little bit because i couldn't talk about poverty and not talk about (laughs) how much of my problems with self-worth stem from exactly that um so yeah another way poor brain messes with me is when it comes to stuff that i would only rarely need for example a suit to tell the story of my first suit i'm gonna just basically copy and paste a facebook status from a few months ago from when I first posted a selfie of me in this suit. So here we go. This is from early May. When I had therapy the other day, we started off by talking about poor brain. And that was actually the genesis of the script. Because um, I knew I wouldn't have to write about 500 words there by copy-pasting go. this. Um, I didn't include all what I'm about to say in my therapy roundup post because I knew it needed to be long and boy was I right. Anyway, here's a tale of a suit and a young man who didn't think he was worth owning one. I was 38 years old when I got my first suit. A real suit that fit my small frame, is color-coordinated, and makes me look professional. I spent the past 30 years of my life wearing oversized button-downs to court proceedings, legislative hearings, and political roundtables, not to mention art openings, funerals, and weddings. Hell, I didn't wear a suit to my own wedding, mainly because I didn't own one. But the other day, one of my partners offered to help buy me a suit. I balked at the idea initially for a lot of reasons associated with various forms of trauma and negative thinking. I don't deserve to have nice things, was probably the underlying thought of all the others. I realized how much of these feelings were irrational now, but in that moment, it was all real. She took me to JCPenney, and we spent an hour or so trying on clothes. I basically let her do the work of a personal shopper, and just put on whatever she recommended, and offered my own opinions. 
she did an excellent job by the way I like hella sharp in that suit <laughs> um, big big shout out to my partner anyway uh, in the end she found me a nice fitted jacket that goes with all my other nice clothes uh, that I already had a pair of matching fitting sla fitted slacks and a tie as we were shopping I felt a sense of anxiety and the dread building up but it w I was overall enjoying the experience it felt nice to have someone care about how I present myself without the judgment that has always come with it in the past it was also an amazing feeling to go clothes shopping at a store where they had my size in stock without having to peruse the teenager section, hoping to find something that didn't make me look like a child. <clears throat> when we got to the register, I had a severe panic attack, probably the worst panic attack I've had in years. I couldn't breathe, my body was shaking, and I felt dizzy. I identified the issue and realized I should step outside and collect myself. I found a nearby bench and sat down mindfully. I then practiced practice my mindful breathing, positive self-talk, softening, and acceptance. I also started to play drums on my knees, and that helped a lot. Before long, my anxiety was greatly reduced, but not gone, and we left. <coughs> oh, smoked too much. I realized on the way out of the parking lot that the panic attack originated out of my poor brain. Cost, usage metrics, the perils of credit, the extraneous purchase, all that because I was poor, I didn't deserve nice things. Plus, there was the interior ethical struggle of even owning a suit. I firmly believe that all societal norms regarding fashion and clothing are inherently yes, so you're a pussy. Pretty much, yeah. Pretty well. I mean, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, pretty much. I mean, I'm someone who tries to live by my values, and this was a major hurdle for me. The thought that most helped me calm down in that regard was thinking to myself, "Well, Marx was photographed in a suit that Engels probably bought him." So yeah, that that helped me bridge that gap. I also realized that owning a suit increases my activism potential as well as increases my inherent privilege. I've always been a manly-looking white guy, but the lack of class privilege was obvious as I came to political meetings and hearings looking like I fell out of a thrift store rejection bin. I am also aware how much perceived value our society puts in appearance and have done myself and the cause a disservice in the past. It's okay, though. I forgive myself. I did the best I could in the moment, and that's good enough. So now I own a suit. When I wear it, I feel powerful, handsome, and assertive. What traits I already had seem to increase, and I feel dapper for the first time in my life. I still feel odd wearing it, but the longer I wore it, the more I felt like this was a part of me that I never really allowed to flourish. I'm a nudist at heart. All I want to have to wear is maybe a loincloth, but since I live in a society and not a cabin in the woods, I need, I need to value and embrace my appearance. <laughs> right? <laughs> one day. One day. I can just you know walk out my front door with my wang flopping in the breeze. Um, Anyway, retraining my poor brain and the other associated issues is something I deserve to do. It's something I've neglected in denying my own needs, and in that process of changing. Because I'm worth feeling powerful, feeling attractive, feeling competent, I'm worth so much more than I give myself, whether that's a suit, a haircut, that's never going to happen, or even a <laughs> bottle of hair conditioner rather than three-in-one soap. It's a journey, and one I'm finally glad I'm embarking on. That's so. awesome. You know, I think you really brought up some good things there, and especially I want to, like, point out it, this kind of, like, Puritan self-shaming you have, like, wearing a suit and how you're, like, betraying mm -hmm. your whatever, your left, the leftist yeah. in you. And I think it's interesting that we, even as leftists, we can still see material things as, like, if we partake in that, we're betraying who yeah. we are. You oh, know yeah. I mean? Even if we're just coming from a consumer standpoint of just something as simple as, like, a suit. Yeah. Which isn't, like, 
necessarily a mark of like you own means of production or yeah. anything like that. It's and just something nice. Ironically, right? given the nature of work I do, I'm technically a capitalist because I own my own tools. So yeah. I do in fact own the means of production. Yeah. But yeah, I totally get it. And I I think I it's not even so much owning a suit, it's going and spending money on it. It's like the anxiety. If, yeah, if so, well, yeah. And if somebody given me a suit, I probably would have been able to, you know, wrap my head around wearing it a little mm -hmm. more than going and dropping, you know, two hundred yeah. bucks on, you know, articles of clothing where mm -hmm. I'm like, I'm used to stealing my clothes, allegedly stealing my clothes from Walmart. So yeah. well, <laughs> I wonder, like, I might be drawing a line that's not there, but I wonder about like how much of that can be traced back to like just our Christian. Oh. roots you know what i mean I'm, like, I'm very much sure that there is something there because we do have this mythos in america of you know working our way up and bootstraps right. and individualism and so i think that there was an anchor on me about a suit because it's like i don't want to be i don't want to be in a suit yeah. i don't want people you know i, I work with my hands mm -hmm. I'm, I'm i'm a skateboarder and like i said I, well, i'd man, rather just be running fences. exactly <laughs> I draw yeah. the right like i mean come on i'm not a supervisor type yeah. like i'm not gonna show up at a, at a job site with a hard hat and a tie like that's just stupid yeah like that'd be we, pretty cool though. oh well i mean the best part of that is all pretty the, rock and roll all the workers at the job site know when to go hide because yeah. it's like, oh, crap, there's yeah. a boss here. They can smell the tie <laughs> exactly. from like a mile away. <laughs> it's like, well, that isn't the soup that hangs out on the Polka job dot. site that we're used to. <laughs> <you know? laughs> so, yeah, I mean, so there's definitely baggage with that. And we are at about 37 minutes. So I wrote this all as one script, but I'm going to break this into two episodes because I am smart enough to remember and look at my time and do what I'm doing. So we're going to close this episode, and then we are going to jump right back in. So first off, like, like the show, follow us, listen to us wherever you listen to podcasts. Tell your friends about us. Um, it's, it's, it's a fun time. We, we talk about fun stuff. Uh, you can follow me on social media at Red Leg Revolution pretty much everywhere except Twitter, which is Red Leg Pod. You should totally follow me. Jorts the Buttered Cat follows me and actually liked a couple of my tweets today, so I'm still kind of riding high on that. <sighs> I've got an internet-famous buttered cat that follows me yeah. and likes my tweets. Yeah. And this is apparently a good time to go ahead and close out the episode, too, because my speaking of cats, my comrade is up here rubbing all over microphones yeah, and probably screwing up my levels so <laughs> joe is there anybody you want to uh you want to plug or if you want twitter followers or whatever just tell people yeah uh, my twitter handle i probably can't repeat on the show so oh, it's uh, internet you can say whatever you want oh, i don't want to say this <laughs> okay I'll, I'll respect that i'll respect that um no don't follow me i just like to come on and talk it was just a pleasure to come on and, and talk with you and, and socialist all. alternative socialist alternative is a cool group if you're in the kansas they they're international so they probably a website or anything Locally. Yeah, just go to socialistalternative.com. That's right. simple. There we go. Check out also the, on Twitter and, and Facebook. There we go. That's that's a good plug. See, yeah. I, I like it when I have people on that can plug things. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, you should go do that because there are people who basically get the tagline of the show that our only hope is each other. We will be back in just a few minutes with the next part of the show. Thank you. Thank you.